Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Happy New Year. As you and as we have already seen and heard together today, the church is celebrating Epiphany. The word Epiphany means to make known or to reveal. And Epiphany is the day when we remember that Jesus' coming is not just for a few people a long time ago, as Pastor Aaron said. This is the day we remember and celebrate that Jesus' incarnation is for the redemption of the whole world. So today we're going to be looking at a familiar story traditionally associated with Epiphany, the story of the Magi, the wise men who seek out the Christ child in order to worship him. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It's also printed in your order of worship. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod, Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, like the wise men, we are gathered together this morning to worship Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you would indeed shine your light uh, upon us, shine it in our hearts. So, yes, that we can see ourselves rightly, but also that we can see who Jesus is and what he has come to do. That he has come to lay down his life and make the whole world new and to make us new as well. And, Father, even as we hear this sermon together and as we look at this passage, may we worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, growing up, uh, it was a normal occurrence for my dad to come home with a new dog. And he would uh, be driving around town. He would see a sign that said, puppies for sale. And he'd just casually buy one and then bring it home. As you might imagine, after this happened a number of times, my mother had mixed feelings about this practice. But for me and our dogs, my dogs were uh, some of my fondest memories. I think one of the things that I love about dogs is that you never have to guess what they're feeling. We could say that, that they wear their, their hearts on their tails. So Rachel and I uh, got our kids a puppy about six months ago. 
And just like my dogs growing up, it was, it's easy to read what's going on with our dog, Emmy. When I walk into a room and she wags her tail, I know she's happy to see me. And when I walk into a room and she skulks away with her tail between her legs, I know uh, to check to see if she has drunk all of the water out of the Christmas tree stand or chewed through my phone cord or something of that sort. Emmy's tail always gives her away. Now, when we read Matthew's account of a star rising to announce the birth of Jesus, it may sound a little strange and foreign to our ears. But the Magi were like the dog whispers of the stars. To them, reading the movement of the stars was as straightforward and reliable as reading a dog's tail. And despite the lyrics of one of my favorite uh, Christmas songs that we just sang together, We Three Kings, the Magi in our story weren't kings. Magi were a special kind of Eastern royal advisor, part priest, part astronomer, and astrologer. And these Magi would have spent their lives studying the wisdom literature of their people as well as studying the night sky. And they believed that everything was interconnected. And when something important happened on earth, you could expect it to see it reflected in the heavens or vice versa. The Magi had honed the study of the stars and the planets to a fine art, each one giving each one a particular meaning. And for hundreds of years, the Eastern kings relied on Magi to interpret dreams and predict events that would either preserve or threaten their reign. Now, what's interesting is that the Jewish scriptures prohibit astrology or divination, which is the old term for it. So amazingly, what Matthew is reporting to us here, to his, and specifically to his mainly Jewish readers, is that God announced Jesus' birth in a way that was specifically intended for pagan astrologers to understand. And what would have been even more incredible to Matthew's readers is this, that the Magi not only read the skies, but they interpret them correctly. So while Jesus' birth was, was mostly missed by his own people, 900 miles away, a caravan starts a long journey in response to a sign in the skies. A baby has been born who is king of the Jews. So Matthew ends chapter 1 with Jesus being born and named. And now in chapter 2, the narrative has jumped two years. And the infant Jesus is referred to as a child in verses 8 and 11. Matthew tells us that Joseph and Mary are living in Bethlehem in Judea, which is about six, mile, six miles south of Jerusalem. So while the toddler Jesus is with his family in Bethlehem, some wealthy and exotic visitors from the east, likely, Beth, uh, likely uh, Babylon, show up in Jerusalem with a story about a star. Now scholars have done a lot of speculating on what exactly this astronomical event was that prompted the Magi's journey. Some think that it could have been Jupiter and Saturn aligning three times in 7 BC, since Jupiter represented royalty and Saturn represented the Jewish people. 
Others propose that it could have been the movement of Halley's Comet, since comets often represented the demise of one king and the replacement with another. Now, whatever it was that the Magi saw, it caused them to get their camels and their treasures together and start out on a journey west. Now, even though this is an extraordinary event in the Gospel of Matthew, for the Magi, there is a sense in which this revelation was ordinary. Part of their job description was to be looking to the skies to get information about kings and kingdoms. And what they saw was obviously of great significance. But it came in the course of their ordinary work and lives. The stars are what the Magi knew. And so God spoke to them in a way that they would understand. He met them in the place where they were looking, and he invited them on a journey to find Jesus. Now, unlike the Magi, the majority of us aren't astronomers, except maybe our property and finance director, Gene Pearson, which some of you may know. But for the rest of us, a brand new constellation could appear in the sky, and we might not even notice it. So most likely, God is not going to send a star to point us towards Jesus. And yet, as, it, as he did for the Magi, we can trust that God will speak in a way that we will understand, in our language, in our context. And what we often miss is that God is speaking to us in far more ways than we normally attribute to him and in more moments than we imagine. For the Magi, it was the star that he used to stir up longing and expectation. So much longing, in fact, they would spend a remarkable amount of money and time going to find the one to whom this star pointed. And likewise, God often speaks to us through the ordinariness of our daily lives. And he does it by stirring up longing and desires through music and a movie, through moments of kindness, through everyday routine provision. Longing that if we allow it to, will start us on a journey towards Jesus. But here's the problem. The problem is that we don't expect him to speak to us. So when he, when he does... We don't consider what he's actually saying. And when he stirs up longing in us, we don't know what to do with it because often it's uncomfortable and so we try to move past it as quickly as possible. For example, last year um, I watched the movie Lion after it came out on Netflix. I don't know, some of, maybe some of you have seen it before. I hadn't really paid much attention to the Oscar buzz about it. I kind of thought that the movie was an, was an action movie based on the title. Uh, and I was well into it and committed to it when I figured out that it was actually based on a true story about a young boy from India who got lost from home and separated from his family. And then when he became an adult, he realizes the tragedy of his circumstances and he goes on an all-consuming quest to find his birth family and his home. Now, 
I gotta say, it was a good thing that I did not go see this movie in the theater because as I watched it, I found myself weeping as hard as I have ever weeped or ever wept before. Even though at the time I really didn't know why. And I know that those of you who have seen it, not everyone responds to this movie in this way. But for some reason, it tapped into something deep in me. And to be honest, I didn't want to reflect on the grief that it was being stirred up in me. And I certainly didn't want to look at it long enough to ask, hmm, I wonder what God is saying to me through this movie. What is he stirring up in me? And it actually took me months before I began to process that there were some painful themes in the movie that were also true in my own life. God used this random movie on Netflix as a doorway to help me access grief that I had buried for a long time. Now, I know this is a mundane example, but that's exactly my point. God speaks to us in the mundane all the time. He speaks to us in our vocations all the time. And when he stirs up things in us, I wonder, can we begin to build a habit of pausing and asking, God, what are you saying to me in this moment? And in those moments, might he be reminding you through ordinary means that you are loved beyond what you can imagine, despite your mistakes and independent of your successes? Might he gently be inviting you into a relationship that is filled with freedom to go to him, not just in the storms of life, but in the quiet? Might he be teaching you that he is trustworthy, And that you can trust him with your sorrows and your pains as well as your joys. And when God speaks to us, he may rearrange your plans and your priorities. It may set you on a totally different path than what you imagined. But it is always for your good. It is always to lead you to King Jesus as he did for the Magi in our story. Their journey likely took months. And when they got as far west as they could go before running into the Mediterranean Sea, they made a stop at a place where it would make sense for a baby king to be born. Herod's palace in Judea. But as you and I know, there was no baby there. And unfortunately, the Magi do not appear to know of King Herod's reputation. Herod had been declared king of the Jews by the, Rome, by the Roman Senate, although he was not ethnically Jewish, but did have some Jewish influence from his father. And he later would put his Jewish wife as well as their two sons to death when he suspected them of threatening his throne. And after several incidents of this, Caesar Augustus joked that he would rather be Herod's pig than his son. So imagine you're a king, tenuously holding onto your throne, and a group of foreign emissaries show up at your doorstep looking to worship a king that is not you. 
throw into the pot some paranoia and some crazy, and you can imagine that this is the worst news that Herod could hear. Our passage says that he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And so what does Herod do? He calls together the most important Jewish leaders and teachers to answer the Magi's question, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And the chief priests and the scribes come back and they agree that the scripture is clear. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah 5.2. And church, the plot here is already pretty thick. Jesus, the toddler, is perhaps learning to string together sentences when we see the great powers of the world beginning to move in response to him, lining up for and against him. And on the one hand, we have the unlikeliest of allies, pagan polytheists who read the skies, living out what we heard in our Old Testament lesson uh, in Isaiah 60 that the nations shall come to your light. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praise of the Lord. Now the Magi in our story remind us that God is both consistent and surprising, just as we will see in Jesus' life and ministry, that God is forever calling the outsider into the kingdom feast. And on the other hand, dark clouds of threat are rolling in to oppose Jesus, powered by the greatest political machine the world has ever known. The Pax Romana is upheld by violence, and Herod quickly turns his paranoid and brutal eye towards tiny Bethlehem. And so in secret, we're told that Herod asked the Magi to come back and report to him when they find the child. And I think probably the need for secrecy may have been to keep the Jews who are hoping for the, the, the arrival of the, the, the Messiah from warning the Magi of Herod's treachery. And it seems that Herod is confident that he has deceived the Magi because he does not send an escort with them to Bethlehem. And so the Magi continue on their way. And again, some, some kind of heavenly star shows the way to the very house in which Jesus lives. And Matthew says that the Magi rejoice to have found him, and they fall down, and they worship him. And they present him with costly gifts fit for a king. And our encounter with the wise men ends as we see them return home by another route, since they are warned in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, I think it's clear, in contrast to the nativity scenes that we are accustomed to, that there is nothing cozy about this story. You see, what it does is it draws back the curtain between light and darkness, good and evil, Jesus and death. While the heavens declare the glory of God and the nations represented by the Magi come to the light of Jesus, we also have Herod, who eventually sends soldiers to murder all of the male infants and toddlers in Bethlehem. 
And the Magi don't know it. But it's their gifts of gold and precious resins that will likely provide the means for Jesus' family to flee to Egypt to avoid the brutal killing. And there's just, there's so much else that the Magi don't know about their place in the story. They have barely the faintest idea about who they are worshiping or their significance that they represent the whole non-Jewish world. And I think like them, we often are at a loss to see our place in the story of what God is doing in the world and our significance in it. And so this morning, we can take heart as we consider these magi. These wise men, they feel the draw of God speaking to them and respond by aligning themselves with the king in the best way that they know how. And so let me just say this morning, wherever you find yourself, in faith or outside of faith, trusting Jesus or unsure of what to make of him, This story bids us with urgency, as N.T. Wright says, to come to Jesus by whatever route we can and with the best gifts that we can find. Because unlike the Magi, we know where this story is heading. In his final face down with the powers of the world, Jesus will accept a crown of thorns instead of gold. He will accept a cross for a throne. And in a twist as crazy as God taking on flesh, this is how the true king of the world wins victory over death and begins to restore the world as it was meant to be. And here are the two lines where the lyrics to the song, We Three Kings, among others, hold true. King forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. So church, wherever you are at this morning, bring to him what you have. And King Jesus will know exactly what to do with it. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this strange and beautiful story of these magi who see this star in the sky. And Father, they don't just write it off they read the sign correctly and they get all of their stuff and belongings and they go after this star to find the one to whom it points. And Father, as we see the light of your Son, as he shines brightly in our lives and in this moment, Father, may we pack our bags and head out on our journey to find this Jesus. And when we find him, may we bow down and worship him as he is And so, Father, as we leave here, may you be with us and may we be cognizant of the ways that you are speaking to us in our ordinary lives. And may we hear you and may we respond in worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.